0: Welcome back to Cornerbrook Baptist Church. I should explain, first of all, about the difference in the quality of my voice. Uh, this week has been a, a week when something has, uh, something has happened in my throat, something that's been going around our household. And so I'm a little bit I'm a little bit hoarse. And uh, so if you notice it, don't, don't adjust your, your phone or your device or what else you're watching this on. The problem is really mine. But the good news is that it's getting a whole lot better, good enough, in fact, for us to tape the second in our series of, uh, of messages from a remote location, and we no longer can meet in our church as we normally do. Dan Bursey's leading worship remotely. He led one session at his house, another at the church, and other worship leaders will be on to do the same type of thing. And so today, I want to talk to you about bad news, fake news, and good news. One of the most compelling images that has been shown to the public during the COVID-19 pandemic is the Facebook post of Italian Prime Minister Giuseppe Conte, who was quoted as saying this, We have lost control. We have killed the epidemic physically and mentally. Can't understand what more we can do. All solutions are exhausted on ground. Our only hope remains up in the sky. God, rescue your people. The problem with the report is that it's fake news. What's amazing is how readily we absorbed it. And we did so because so many of us wanted a world leader to appeal to God. We wanted to go to the highest level of authority with a problem that has proven to be too great for us to manage as the infection rate climbs, and in Canada at least, roughly 10% of those affected lose their lives. We will always try to make a connection between our deepest questions and our desire for God's perspective. Our pain seems to drive us towards deeper questions, a cry for perspective against the onslaught of sudden calamity. It's being asked as we, as we cope in a stressful and medically uncertain period. It's not new for many of us. It's been personal for us. But today, it's gone way beyond that to being global. Now let me offer you today a case study from a man who was tested in the extreme and in his desperation cried out to God. So read to you from the book of Job, beginning at chapter 6. Verse 1, Then Job replied, If only my anguish could be weighed, and all my misery be placed on the scales, it would surely outweigh the sands of the seas. No wonder my words have been impetuous. The arrows of the Almighty are in me. My spirit drinks in their poison. God's terrors are marshaled against me. Does a wild donkey bray when it has grass? Or an ox bellow when it has fodder? Is tasteless food eaten without salt? Or is there flavor in the white of an egg? I refuse to touch it. Such food makes me ill. Oh, that I might have my request, that God would grant what I hope for, that God would be willing to crush me, to let loose his hand and cut me off. Then I would still have this consolation my joy in unrelenting pain, that I had not denied the words of the Holy One. Where did I go wrong? For for many, the book of Job is not a book of solutions, but a book of problems and questions that are left unanswered. Yet for centuries, people have commiserated with Job. They found in Job's account someone they could share their sorrows with. Martin Luther said that Job is magnificent and sublime as no other book of Scripture. As Old Testament literature, Job contains 110 words not found anywhere else in the Old Testament, more than any other book. Victor Hugo, the 19th century French essayist, said Job is perhaps the greatest masterpiece of the human mind. And Alfred Lord Tennyson, the the celebrated poet laureate, said Job is the greatest poem of ancient or modern times. Biblical scholars have broken the book of Job into three overriding themes. Its central fact is that Job is stripped of everything. Its central emotion is Job's sorrow. And its central problem is God's apparent silence in the face of Job's suffering. Let's look at each of these in turn. There are some today and some of people who call themselves christians who refuse to who refuse to read job they conclude that job just has the power of a bad example job is charged with creating his own misery by a negative confession plenty of people would prefer that this book which de, which describes the life of a man dating back to Abraham's time they would rather were not even in the bible but the bitter truth of the book is that job despite his integrity and despite his moral courage, is stripped. He's stripped of everything, everything that a person can lose short of dying. Now, follow the sad story, and here's what you find in in Job's account. Job is stripped of his wealth. In just a few hours, or a few days at the most, Job went from plenty to poverty. Materially, Job was wrecked. Job lost his children. And what's more tragic than to go through that veil of sorrow? Job lost every one of his children suddenly and violently. Then he lost his health. His body became a mass of inflamed, ulcerous, itching sores. Read the account in the scriptures as his condition is described, but please don't read it before you eat something. Job lost his wife. He was penniless and pathetically sick. And then his wife urged him to abandon his integrity and curse God and die. Job also lost his friends. Loss of of possession encouraged desertion. His wasted physical condition turned a few more people off. And others concluded, I don't want to be anywhere near this guy because he's obviously under a curse. He was not someone that people wanted to mix with. Sounds a little like our time when we're not allowed to mix with people. And then Job began to lose his own self-image. Job's personality underwent a powerful change. Stripped of everything, he cursed the day of his birth and longed for death. The suffering eroded his dignity to the point where he cried out to die. But worse than all of these things, Job began to lose his awareness of God. The anchor of his soul became unfastened and Job began to feel that God was no longer gracious. Job lost his sense or began to lose his sense of God's righteous, righteous government. No longer had a good grasp of the justice of God. And so he became, he became confused about God's place in the whole scheme of good and evil. Job was stripped as few people have, have been. All that was left was the nakedness of his spiritual being. Everything that could clothe his life was gone. Everything that could bring him comfort was suddenly missing. His friends were so amazed when they saw him, the scriptures tell us they sat down and fasted with him and wailed his plight for seven days. Job was script to satisfy a question, a disturbing question. Will a person serve God gratis? Will anyone serve God if they get nothing in return? Do we serve God because he deserves worship or because we're getting a great deal out of the relationship? Job was script of everything but his knowledge of God. Even in unimaginable suffering, Job would not deny God. How would we fare? Is there a price tag on our integrity? What could we be stripped of to turn us away from him or to turn against him? Now, the central emotion that's inside of this story, which is Job's sorrow, there's an aspect of Job's life that's simply astounding. Yes, Job mourned for his family, He missed his children and his grandchildren. His days are filled with memories and bitter tears. He missed his work and the good days he'd seen. He missed good friends in his house. He missed his status as an elder who judged cases that were brought before the city at the entrance of the city of Uz. He struggled with his own security and he struggled with his relationship with God. In fact, his life is a study in sorrow. Maybe mentioning Italy at the beginning is what sows this idea in in my mind, one of the nations that has been affected so deeply. Job reaped every disastrous possibility of Murphy's Law and saw it multiplied a hundred times. Job's deepest sorrow is not reserved for any of these things. Job's sorrow is for the fact he cannot find God, nor could he plead his case before the one who created him. Is cry as in chapter nine and verse two. He says, how can a man be just with God? Job is not talking about justification by faith, but he's talking about how can a person deal with God to present his cause in God's presence. Stripped of everything, Job has retained one piece of knowledge that no one can ever forget. God is unlike us, he's not a man. God's ways are not our ways. Job cannot find his way to God, and that's at the root of his sorrow. Listen to Job's cry of woe in the 23rd chapter. Job says, If only I knew where to find him, if only I could go to his dwelling, I would state my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would find out what he would answer me and consider what he would say. Would he oppose me with great power? No, he would not press charges against me. There an upright man could present his case before him, and I would be delivered forever from my judge. But if I go to the east, he is not there. If I go to the west, I do not find him. When he is is at work in the north, I do not see him. When he turns to the south, I catch no glimpse of him. But he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I will come forth as gold." Job saw the kind of despair that many in the people of the world can can compare their sorrow to. Imagine waking tomorrow with no sense of where God is and no answers to the kind of cries that come from our hearts. How terrible to grope in the darkness for someone who refuses to be found. Listen to how Job answered one of his friends, so-called friends, Zophar, in Job 14 and 7. At least there is hope for a tree, Job says. If it is cut down, it will sprout again, and its new shoots will not fail. His roots may grow old in the ground, and its stump may die in the soil. Yet Yet at the scent of water it will bud and put forth shoots like a plant. But a man dies and is laid low. He breathes his last and is no more. Job's conclusion is that he would have been better off if he had been created a tree rather than a man. And finally, there's Job's Job's central problem. And it's God's apparent silence. Job is not a prophetic book as such. After chapter 1, Job and his friends do all the talking. And here's where the trouble starts for him. They charge Job. They analyze his condition. Job tries to defend himself. Other times, he tries to defend God. And at times, he argues with God and questions God's purposes against the backdrop of his own experience. God never speaks in this book until chapter 38. And in his words, he challenges and rebukes Job for the questions he asked and the questions that he leveled. Here's a short example of Job's complaint in the 16th chapter. He says, Surely, O God, you've worn me out. You've devastated my entire household. You've bound me, and it has become a witness. My gauntness rises up and testifies against me. God assails me and tears me in his anger and gnashes his teeth at me. My opponent fastens on me his piercing eyes. Men open their mouths to jeer at me. They strike my cheek in scorn and unite together against me. God has turned me over to evil men and thrown me into the clutches of the wicked. All was well with me, but he shattered me. He seized me by the neck and crushed me. My face is red with weeping. Deep shadows ring my eyes. Yet my hands have been free from violence and my prayer is pure. Here's God's response to Job in chapter 38, when he begins to speak. Then the Lord answered Job from out of the storm. He said, Who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you will answer me. Where were you, Job, when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched out a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and the angels shouted for joy. Have you ever watched a courtroom drama when an improper question is asked? With the intent of getting an answer, a lawyer may occasionally badger a witness or lead a witness. In those cases, a judge will sometimes Uh, cut into the deliberations and rule that a question is out of order or that the question is irrelevant. The lawyer who's ruled against, in the dramas I've watched, usually responds with these words. I withdraw the question. Now here's how Job withdraws his question. Chapter 41, verse 1. "'I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. Surely I spoke of things I do not understand.' Things too wonderful for me to know. My ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. I can't agree that the book of Job has no solutions. It does major on suffering and sorrow, some of it sounding remarkably like what the world is going through now. It does tend to give the impression that God remains silent in the midst of our suffering, But God does speak clearly to Job. Let me draw two conclusions today. God says, you must trust me even when you don't understand what's going on around you. Even when it appears that God is silent and inactive, he's there. Our mistake is writing him out of the equation. We translate trouble as judgment and silence as desertion. Just like Job, we need to see him for ourselves. It's not enough to hear of God or to depend on someone else's understanding of him. We have to prove him ourselves in our own lives. Job cried out for help in chapter 9. He felt he couldn't get justice. He couldn't plead his own case. He couldn't reach God, and so he needed help. And here's what his plea sounds like. Job chapter 9, verse 33, neither is there any daysman betwixt us that might lay his hand on us both. That's exactly what we need in our times of trouble. The word daysman is easily translated as mediator or an umpire. It describes a person who stands between two opposing forces, sometimes translated as an arbitrator, Someone who tries to bring peace between two parties who are deadlocked in a dispute. That's who Christ became in our lives. The one Job could only hope for is the one today that we know. By the sacrifice of himself, Jesus Christ has made peace with God and we're the beneficiary of that. Job concluded that when he cried out, I know my Redeemer lives, and sometimes today we sing it as a part of our worship. Perhaps the greatest question that we're asking today as we reflect upon what's happening in our world, is does God really care where we are and what's happening to us? I'll let the Apostle Paul answer the question from Romans chapter 8. Paul says this, "If if God is for us, Who is against us he who did not spare his own son but delivered him over for us all how will he not also with him freely give us all things in this crisis as it goes on day after day and as we grow weary of it and as our questions rise please understand that God is not silent and he is certainly not absent. The cross of Christ speaks most eloquently to God's care for us. And that, my friends, is not fake news. It is good news. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, thank you for being here. Thank you for being here in the person of your son, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, who lives at, the side of God the Father today making intercession for us. You know every circumstance that people face today and we know that you have compassion on us. We know that you love us and we also are confident that you will carry us through. We thank you for the realities of our faith. We're so appreciative of the fact that you are much bigger than our problems but neither are you intimidated by the questions we ask. And so, Lord, we come come to you today, place ourselves before you, ask for your continued mercy and grace, and thank you that in Christ we find that. We ask these mercies in his name. Amen. If you have any questions about today's message or if you'd like to talk to someone, then kindly get in touch with, uh, with our staff at cornerbrookbaptist.com and all of the information is located on our website that will enable you to reach out to us. Again, it's been our delight bringing you this message today. God bless you.